listen to the word of the Lord this morning. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, I hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Can I say something to you this morning? At the cross of Jesus Christ, there's plenty of redemption for all. That is the 130th Psalm, the Psalm that they just sang a part of to you this morning. And it is a cry, a plea from the heart of the psalmist that God would have mercy upon him. You know the great news is when we cry out to the Lord for God to have mercy upon us and we humble ourselves in his presence every single time, God will pour out his mercy upon us. Isn't that so wonderful to know? You know, if there is anything that the cross screams this morning, it is this, paid in full, redemption for all. You can find redemption at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you've never met him as your Lord and Savior, I hope today will be the day that you will come to the cross of Jesus Christ and look up and see what it is that Jesus did for you when he hung there and he died. Paid in full redemption that he offers for all of mankind. You know, one of the things we've been looking at in our church is the story of redemption as it full unfolds in God's word. We've had a beautiful or wonderful opportunity to see that beautiful picture of God's redemption unfolding from the very beginning of time, from when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. I'll tell you, it's been a wonderful privilege to have the opportunity to get to know Dory and Amy. I am so grateful that they came this week and they led our Oneness Conference and it has been amazing and it's just filled my joy with heart to hear how God has restored their marriage. You know, that's the great news about the God we serve. He can take everything that is old and he can make it new if we'll only look to him. He can restore all things. He is a God of reconciliation and he is a God of love. If you are going to Treehouse this morning, I see that they are waiting in the back for you. This is our children's worship Kindergarten through fourth grade, you can feel free at this time to be dismissed if you would like to do that. If you are remaining in here with me, please open your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. 
So when you find your place in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John, you're going to want to put your finger on the 31st verse. In a few moments, we're going to begin reading there in that verse of Scripture. Now, once you have found your places, I want you to just look up at me this morning. And if y'all will permit me to do this, I'm just going to sip my water right here, all right? Hopefully, I won't knock that off in the middle of the service, okay? I know that we're walking by faith and not by sight when I put that right there, all right? But we're going to work real hard not to knock it out there in the middle of the, uh, uh, the, middle of the service, so if you'll bear with me. So if you have your place right there, the 31st verse of John 13. Now, this is what I want you to do. Keep your finger there and look up at me. This is your opportunity to participate in the sermon part of the worship service. This is your opportunity. I want you to take out a pen and a piece of paper. doesn't matter what you have, a pen and a piece of paper. You can find anything to write on, whether it's your messenger or whatever it is you have. And this is what I want you to do. In five words or less, I want you to define the word love. Five words or less, I want you to define the word love. Now, men, no cheating. Don't look on your wife's paper. You come up with the answer for yourself this morning. Five or less words, I want you to define the word love. I'm not going to give you all morning now. I'll be picking up papers as you go out of the worship center this morning to read your answers later on. Not really. There will be no test. Five words are left. Define the word love. All right. Look at me. All right. How easy was that? Not real easy to define the word love, is it? As a matter of fact, I would say it is quite challenging to define the word love. Would you agree with me on that? I would say it is. You know, when I hear the word love, the first thing that comes to my mind is 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. In that chapter, Paul stacks on top of one another, one characteristic after another, painting this beautiful picture for us of the word love. I am convinced that marriage hinges on a love commitment between two people. A committed love for Jesus Christ, and out of that committed love for Jesus Christ, a committed love for our spouse. Jesus Christ made this statement. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body. You know what he's saying essentially? He is saying, if you want to walk in a relationship with God, you have to have a committed love. And he says the second command is much like the first command. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to me this morning. It is utterly impossible to say as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have this deep, overwhelming love in my heart for God, but I don't love my neighbor. I don't love my spouse. I don't love the person that sits across the pew from me in the church. That is utterly impossible. 
It doesn't matter what they've done. Nowhere in that passage of Scripture is there an extra clause given, hey, you don't have to love your neighbor if they've done this to you. It doesn't say that. It simply says this is love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, everything you got, a committed love, and to love your neighbor as yourself. My question for you this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ is this, how does your love look? How does your love look? Isn't that our great challenge as followers of Jesus Christ? Is to love like Jesus loves? I don't think it is any mistake that we are in this passage this morning. I don't think God makes any mistakes at all. You know, we have been preaching verse by verse through the Gospel of John. There is no way I could have planned for us to be here on this Sunday. It is all by the hand of God. And the reason I believe we are in this text today is because God wants to teach us something about loving. As a matter of fact, I think that what he wants to teach us, he wants to teach us how to love Jesus style. What do you think? I think that's what he's wanting to teach us. So if you have your copy of your text or you have your Bibles, I mean your, your device open this morning, find that verse, verse 31. We're going to pick up where we left off. Listen to what it is that Jesus Christ said. These are the very, some of the very last words that Jesus Christ would speak before he would go to the cross. They come on the heels of the story we looked at last week, the betrayal of Jesus Christ. It is no mistake that Jesus Christ is going to teach his disciples about what it truly means to love. Think about it for a moment. He starts this text by washing their feet. Isn't that a beautiful example of service and love? Then he says, one of you are going to betray me. And then he identifies his betrayer as Judas, who was given the seat of honor at Jesus' table. What a beautiful picture of love he honors the very man who would betray him isn't that amazing love and then he comes here to this text before he goes into this great teaching about the holy spirit and listen to what he says when he had gone out jesus said now is the son of man glorified and god is glorified in him if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while and I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now listen to this last statement. It just blows me away. And the reason it blows me away, it just, it seems not to fit. This, I'm not Jesus, but this is not what I would have said. Listen to what he says here. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if 
you love one another. Are you surprised by those words? I am. You know, I really expect that Jesus Christ would have said, now listen, guys, the world will know that you are mine by your sound doctrine. Wouldn't you expect Jesus to say that? I would have. Or maybe he would have said, you know what? The world will know that you're mine because you're deep theologically. But he doesn't say that at all, does he? In this text, Jesus Christ says to his apostles, hey guys, this is what marks you as belonging to me. If you're truly a disciple of mine, you will love one another. It is an indication to the world that you truly belong to me is your love for one another. So the question we must ask ourselves today is how does my love look? How does my love look? Am I loving like Jesus loves? Now, some people would walk away from this text today and they would say, well, what Jesus is really saying here is we need to love at all cost." But I would tell you that is not true. We do need to love. But I would remind you that Scripture clearly teaches us, and Paul made very clear this reference as he was writing a letter to one of the churches, we are to speak the truth in love. We should never love at the expense of truth. We should never water down the truth just for the sake of love. Real love will always be balanced with truth. Do you see what I'm saying? Because we live in a world today that wants to announce to us what Jesus said is love, 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 love. And surely Jesus Christ wants us to love. I don't doubt that. But real love is willing to speak truth into a person's life in a right way. I love what Warren Wiersbe says about that verse of Scripture. Listen to his words. I just think they're... I mean, he just hits it. Listen to what he says here. Love without truth is hypocrisy. And truth without love is brutality. Isn't that so true when you think about that? I mean, think about that for a moment. Love without truth is hypocrisy. It has no foundation. It has no meaning. It basically says, anything goes. Isn't that what it says? That kind of love? But think of the opposite of that. Truth that has no balance of love with it. Do you know what happens at that point in time? The Bible becomes a hammer that we beat people up with. Isn't that true? Do you see that? There must be a mingling of the two. The two must be balanced perfectly. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take the opportunity to introduce you to loving Jesus' way. And I simply want to make three statements to you about the kind of love that Jesus Christ speaks in this passage of Scripture. Three statements that you'll want to write down today, all right? Number one, real love is always costly. Real love is always costly. Now, I'm not speaking in terms of money. 
Now, I know some of you men would probably question that this morning, right? You would say, well, if you looked at the ring on my wife's finger, I'm going to tell you what, my love cost me a lot. But that's not what Jesus Christ is speaking about in this text, is he? No. Jesus Christ is speaking about real love being costly in terms of our lives. When I read earlier to you this passage of Scripture, did you hear the first two verses? Five times in the first two verses, the word glorify appears. Now, if you're like me, you just have to take a step back and say, oh my goodness, that has to be important. Any time, I mean, listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. It almost sounds like a broken record, doesn't it? It's like Jesus is saying, get the message is what he's saying to us. When I read these words and I look at this text, the first thing that comes to my mind is this, what in the world is Jesus speaking about? How is the Son of Man now glorified? If you remember to this point in the Gospel of John, if you remember over and over, Jesus Christ has pointed to his glorification in the future, hasn't he? Now, all of a sudden, in this passage, he speaks of it in the presence. Now is the Son of Man glorified. What has happened from verse 1 of chapter 13 through verse 31 of chapter 13 that Jesus Christ can now make that statement? Do you see it? Now is the Son of Man glorified. What has happened? Well, I think the answer to that question is found in verse 18. If you have your Bibles, just roll up there to verse 18 and look with me. Listen to what Jesus Christ said. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus Christ is speaking about his death, isn't he? He's speaking about the betrayal that would happen in the following verses. Do you remember what took place there? Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. And now Jesus Christ in the very next passage of Scripture loudly announces to everyone that he hears, hey, now is the Son of Man glorified. Jesus is saying it is through my death that the Father and I have worked together to purchase your redemption it is through my death that now the father and I are glorified is what Jesus is saying on the one level the cross is the epitome or epitome of humiliation and shame there was no worse death than death on the cross Think with me for a moment. I want you to picture in your mind Jesus Christ, beaten and battered and bruised, a crown of thorns on his head, stripped naked, paraded through the streets of Jerusalem, taken out to a hill outside the city called Golgotha, two nails driven in his hands, one driven in his feet, taken and placed up on a cross in display of all the world. 
I want to tell you what, you want to talk about the epitome of humiliation and shame. On your behalf and my behalf. Do you see that? But on the other hand, the cross is the epitome of the glorification of Jesus Christ and God. At the cross, Jesus or God's full grace and mercy, His holiness, His justice, His righteousness is on full display before the entire world. The cross speaks of the glory of the Son and of the Father. The point is this. Jesus and the Father's love as seen at the cross was costly. I mean, think about it for a moment. There is verse after verse of Scripture found in the Word of God that speaks about the cost of love. I want you to just listen to a couple of them this morning. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He gave it cost. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It cost Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. 1 John 3, 16, We know love by this that He laid down His life for us and we ought to also lay down our lives for our brother. One thing that every single one of these verses have in common is this, love costs. Every verse has the same word God or Jesus gave on our behalf. Do you see it? The Bible is full of verse after verse about the costliness of love. Very clearly seen in the life of Jesus Christ. What we see at the cross was an act of self-sacrificing love. It was costly. It's what we see. In your relationship to your spouse and your children, does your love cost you anything? Is it self-sacrificing? What about your love for fellow believers? Is it self-sacrificing? Real love is costly. And I would say this to you this morning. The key to understanding the cost of love is found in one verse of Scripture. I want you to listen to it very carefully. It's a verse of Scripture that I have quoted to you a number of times. It's this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The cost of your love, your life. If you are to love 
your spouse and your family and your fellow believers in this community of faith in the way that Jesus Christ loves us, it will never happen until you sacrifice self at the cross. All of your selfish ambitious and interests until you lay it at the throne of God and sacrifice it all, you will never love with a cost like Jesus Christ loved. I mean, think about it. He laid aside everything for you and I. I mean, do you see it? Number two, real love is commanded. Do you hear what Jesus Christ said in this passage of Scripture? A new command I give you. Now listen, believer, this is so very important. Loving others is not optional. Is simply a matter of obedience. Let me say it again. Loving others is not optional. Now listen to what he says here. I want you to hear what Jesus says here in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And you don't have to love those who don't first love you. Is that what it says? Oh, no, it doesn't say that. Oh, here it is, the one that talks about you behind your back. You don't have to love that person. Is that what it says? No. The one that you don't really like, your personality clashes with their person. You know what I'm talking about? You ever met that person, you know? They, can, they, they have a way of pushing all the right buttons. If you were here on Wednesday night, it's like what Brother Jason was saying. When his sons sometimes come and grab him by the legs, they say to him, Daddy, I'm pushing all of the buttons. You met that person, right? Can I just say to you, you'll never find a verse of Scripture that says you don't have to love that person. It's just not there. Sorry to say it, but you won't find it. We are commanded to love one another. Now, when I read this verse of Scripture, I'm taken back a little bit by Jesus' words. You know why? Because he says, a new commandment. And I'm thinking to myself, really, Jesus? A new commandment? I mean, there's nowhere in the Old Testament we're ever told to love someone. This seems to completely contradict what we read in other places. Leviticus, the 19th chapter and the 18th verse. The children of Israel are commanded to love their neighbor. Then, in Deuteronomy, the 6th chapter, verses 4 and 5, we have that great command given to the nation of Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, with a committed love is what God is saying. And surely all of that could apply to our life, but then all of a sudden Jesus comes here and he says, hey guys, I want you to know this, I'm going to give you a new commandment. I wonder what's going on in the minds of the apostles. I'm wondering if maybe back here they're whispering a little bit. Uh, has Jesus Christ forgotten the Old Testament? Does he not remember what God can... Is this in the Old Testament? But Jesus Christ clearly says here to us, this is a new commandment. It doesn't mean that it's new in time. Instead, he's saying love would take on a new meaning and power because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. I mean, think about it. 
after Jesus Christ dies on the cross, every single person who confesses their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. It is the Holy Spirit of God that empowers and enables us, that gives us the capacity to love just like Jesus commanded us to love in this passage of Scripture. I mean, think about it for a moment. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. We've been looking at that on Wednesday nights. We've been talking about it. There are nine parts of the fruit of the Spirit. I like to refer to them as flavors. Do you want to know what the very first one is? Love. That's the first one. You know why that is? It's not by mistake. All of the other ones flow out of love. If you don't love God rightly, you don't love your neighbor rightly, how in the world can you ever be gentle, kind, and good toward them? Do you see But also, I mean, think about it for a moment. Now, every single believer has the capacity within them through the Holy Spirit of God to love like Jesus Christ has called us to love. There are no excuses is what I'm saying this morning. There are none. It's not optional. We are commanded to love. You know, being in the ministry, you have an opportunity to speak to a lot of different people. On more than one occasion, I've had either a husband or a wife come sit in my office. They're having marital problems. They look at me and they make a statement like this. Well, I just don't really feel like I love her anymore. I've often thought in my heart, I've never said it out loud. Maybe I need to. Well, what in the world does that got to do with it? As though love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Love is a commandment. It is a choice. It's not optional. Choose to love your neighbor. Choose to love that person in the church. Choose to love your spouse. That's what Jesus Christ is saying. Do you see it? Now listen. When we obey God's word and begin to love others sacrificially with a cost, feelings of love will follow. But you can't bail out on the commandment to love others because you like feelings for a person. I am sure that if Jesus Christ had followed his feelings, he would have never gone to the cross. Can you imagine? Well, you know, guys, I'm just not having a real good day today. I just don't really feel like dying on the cross for the sins of the world today. I just think I'm going to stay in bed today. I'm not going to get up. I mean, think about it for a moment. Can you imagine basing love on a feeling? I don't know about you. My feelings are all over the map every day. And if you have children at home, yours are as well. You see what I'm saying? Can you imagine basing your love on that, a simple feeling? Now, I'm not saying that we don't have feelings toward. I'm not saying that, that love doesn't involve our emotions. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this. Love is a choice. You can choose to love or not to love. But listen to me carefully. Believer, it doesn't really matter what you say. God's word is very clear. You are commanded to love. That's the truth. Number three, real love is a committed love. I want you to go back to this text. I didn't read all of the text earlier, 
But I want you to hear the end of this story. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered them. This is verse 36. Where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Now, it would be easy for us to approach the end of this passage of Scripture and and focus on Peter's failure, wouldn't it? And we could extrapolate a lot of lessons from this text about the failures of Peter. I would say to you, what we see in the life of Peter is what we find in every one of our lives. It's It's this disease we oftentimes think more highly of ourselves and we're further along in our relationship with the Lord than we truly are. Isn't that what Peter's saying here? (laughs) Jesus, you know these other guys here, I'm going to tell you what, I'm not like a single one of them. When when the going gets tough, I'm going to be with you all the time. I'll never forsake you. And you know what? Every single apostle forsakes Jesus Christ. But instead of focusing on the failures of the apostles, this is what I want you to see. I want you to focus on the commitment of Jesus Christ to his apostles. You know why? Never once does Jesus' love for his apostles waver. I mean, listen to the opening verse of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Isn't that so awesome? Isn't that so great? Nowhere does Jesus Christ ever turn his back on his apostles? In spite of all of their failures, Jesus Christ stays with them to the end. He even knows that Peter is going to deny him three times. He knows that every single one of the, uh, of the apostles will forsake him in the Garden of Gethsemane. None of them will stand with him in his time of need. And yet he never, ever once wavers in his commitment to his sheep. Do you see that? You want to talk about a committed love. Oh my goodness. You say, well, how committed was Jesus? Well, just look up behind me. That's how committed Jesus was. All the way to the cross. Now listen to me very carefully. Real love is a committed love. And a committed love always seeks the highest good for all people. I mean, think about it. Isn't that what Jesus Christ does? He has this great commitment to his apostles. And in his greatest hour of need, every one of them forsake him. Now, it would have been easy at that point in time for Jesus to have drawn the conclusion, well, 
I'm not going to go to the cross and die for a group like this. Oh, my goodness. Every one of them has forsaken me. But Jesus is committed in his love for the highest good of all people. You see, real love always seeks the highest good for all people. It never just focuses on self and what will this do for me. It always focuses on the other person and their higher good. That's the kind of love we are called to. A committed love that seeks the higher good of others. In closing, I want to share with you quickly what this means in a practical sense for all of our lives. Men, it means that we seek the higher good of our families by being the spiritual leader of our families. You know, the tendency of all of us men is this. I'm a man, so I can speak to you as a man. We minor on majors and major on minors. Isn't that the way we operate with our children? We spend a whole lot of time majoring on the minors in their life. We will spend hour upon hour teaching them to kick a ball in a net or to throw one through a hoop or to hit the ball out of the park or how to throw the pitch or how to make the pass or how to receive the touchdown pass. We'll spend hour after hour after hour after hour with all of that right there focused on it. And then we'll spend a handful of minutes a week in the things of God with our, with our children and our family. Is that truly seeking the higher good of people? What kind of example, Father, are you setting for your children today through your actions? Through your actions, are you telling your children today, I value the things of God over everything that this world has to offer? It's more important to me than anything else is to pass on a spiritual legacy to my children. Amen. Isn't it? I see all the ladies going like this. Good, because I have something for the ladies as well, all right? I'm only joking with you. Ladies, that means that you seek the higher good of your family and your children. Now get it by respecting your husband for the position that God has given him in the family. God has appointed him as the spiritual leader of the family. That is scriptural. Now listen to me, ladies. I realize us men just sometimes, we're not worthy of a lot of respect, are we? We're not. But that doesn't matter. Nowhere is that clause added in there. Offer respect to your husband only if he deserves it. It's not there. We were to respect him. Children, you thought I was going to miss y'all, didn't you? You want to know how you seek the higher good of your family, your parents? By respecting them and honoring them for the position that God has given them in your life. You seek wisdom from your parents, godly wisdom rather than the wisdom of the world. When you're in a relationship with a young man or a young boy, you go to your parents and you allow the Word of God to navigate that relationship for you so that you'll understand and you can bring honor and glory to His name and you respect the position of authority that God has placed in your life with your parents. You see what I'm saying? 
Or how about this? We seek the higher good of people when we seek to work through conflict with another church member. Rather than sitting in circles, holy huddles in the church house, attacking and assassinating one another's character. You see what I'm saying? We're seeking the higher good at that point in time. We seek the higher good for God's church by promoting unity and not disunity in God's church. You say, well, preacher, you're meddling. I know some of this is just speaking to me this morning. But I want you to hear me say this as I close. Real love is self-sacrificing. It is costly. Real love means walking in obedience to Christ. It is commanded. Real love seeks the highest good of the one who is loved. It is a committed love. So my question this morning is this. As we come to our time of invitation, what does your love look like? What does your love look like? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word today. We thank you for how your word speaks truth into our life and challenges us right where we're at. Oh, Father God, what a challenging message for all of us today. I know as I examine my own life, I can see so much room for improvement. See so much need for walking in the Spirit each and every day of my life that He would give me the capacity. He would empower me and enable me to love like Jesus loved. What a powerful testimony to the world, Lord, when we love like Jesus loves. Father, if there's someone here this morning who has never entered into a love relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray this would be the time you would draw them through your Holy Spirit unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We give you this time of invitation, Lord, and pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.